Welcome back, fellow Gunters, to get to the good part. This is Chris. I'm John. And Ryan is out on the road. We have him scouring the countryside to decode some of the clues hidden in the trailer, the promotional poster, and the scoreboard that's been leaked online. Right now, he is traversing the wildlands of Georgia as we speak. And so he has instructed us to continue on without him, and we're going to deep dive into Chapter 12, and he will be back next week. So fear not, the fearless leader shall return. <laughs> but in the meantime, we left off chapter 11 where Parzival was slipping into a nightmare where he was being ripped apart from mm-hmm. the egg. And chapter 12 is him waking up 12 hours later, missing school, to every newsfeed talking about him and ripping apart and, and pulling at all of the hypothetical situations because Artemis was following right behind him, at least as far as the scoreboard was concerned, was trailing him by a thousand points. So he'd even made the comment he wasn't really impressed too much with himself because while he was sleeping, his primary competitor had caught right up with him. Yeah, just another reminder that uh, he's got some serious competition ahead of him. He, he could consider himself hot shit for only an hour. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But what's worse is that he is like he is like Trump the day after election. Every news source is 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 evaluating him and figuring out his relationship with Artemis, assuming that the two of them are working together, right. which from Parzival's perspective is like uh I wouldn't say insulting, not to insult Artemis, but that you know, when you've worked for years and years and years for something, only to have the world assume that somebody else had to be helping you or vice versa. Well, and that's just, I mean, that's kind of, you know, one of their codes, you know, not to, yeah. not to help each other that, you know, work on your own. So it's I mean, pride takes of, a little offense to it. Yeah. It's that pride of doing it yourself. Right. You know, and having put so much time into it to all of a sudden be associated with anyone else, the belief that these two have to be in cahoots with each other. Right. So there's that, and then there's the fact that now he is thrust 100% into the limelight. And this is like being hit by a tsunami of, of news and attention, and the only thing that is your potential raft in this god-awful wave that's coming after you is, is your anonymity. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's almost so overwhelming that he doesn't, Still doesn't quite grasp it, you know, because everybody's right. talking about I, if I were in that situation, I'd probably step back and say, holy shit, this is crazy. But you don't yeah. get that kind of reaction from him. He's just aware that he's still, wake- <laughs> he's still fucking waking up. Yeah, that's true. He's kind of in a daze, although it's funny how he goes through, uh, you know, 24 hours plus getting the key and going through the gate and then he gets he logs out and he passes out for 12 hours i think it's funny how he like wakes up in a daze convinces himself that yeah that just happened let me log right back on (laughs) (laughs) no hesitation to that yeah i guess him waking up he's in his bunny slippers he's pouring cereal he turns on the news And Parsival, next channel. Parsival seems to have done next channel. And Parsival got the key. Shit, what the hell? Why can't I find anything different 
Are there no fucking cartoons anymore? <laughs> I would, I would, I, I, that's overwhelming that every channel, every thread is, is just absolutely wrapped around your name. Right. And it's, it's, it's really just like the buzzards catching a whiff and they're all just fucking circling and they haven't seen you yet, but they're all circling. Yeah. And they're looking in the sky and seeing a million buzzards circling going, there's not enough of me to feed that. Yeah. When so, you think of the guy that went to the news with the limerick, which oh, was yeah. like, what, six, he said, what, six months? Uh, the news covered that for six months or so. So you can only yeah. imagine if the news got a hold of him after the copper key in the first gate, how long they'd run with that. Yeah, when the limerick was put together, you got to imagine that that's just a hint. That's a taste. That doesn't mean anything. Right. You're not really much of a step closer. Maybe a little bit, but you don't have the key. You don't have it's, one of the yeah, three. Yeah, it's still not quite validated. Just um, just nuts. Uh, I got to imagine that this is like winning the lotto. <laughs> yeah. uh, where, where you, you know, they find out. You know, it's, you're going to have like the biggest lotto ever. And then, you know, they, they require you to stand with the damn check. Yeah. And then they give you, give their name, like, hey, here's the old guy that's 63 that, by the way, at the moment has no guns at his house and is now worth more than anyone else in the fucking world. Yeah. And here he is. This is what he looks like. <laughs> and if you're wondering how much to ransom his shit off for, by the way, he's standing next to a check. This fragile old man. <laughs> My name's Bob. What are you going to do? Well, I think I'm going to hunker down in a cave <laughs> in an undisclosed location. Oh, it's Sean Connery. He's and the one that wanted. I wasn't going to go there, but I kind of I felt myself slipping. Yeah, I yeah, I, I heard it. <laughs> yeah. So when I read this chapter and I, I reflected back as to kind of where the path is starting for Parzival. Mm -hmm. It's in the limelight, in the, in the worst, most blankety sort of way. And, uh, and also, you know, just making him this huge target if he's not careful. Right. So rolling back into the book, we have the introduction of Ogden Morrow, which in looking at or watching the feeds, we saw an interview. He sees an interview with Ogden Morrow. And we're introduced to the Og. And just calling him that to begin with gives you this impression that he has a, a large uh, role that's not yet been defined in the book. Yeah, he's a big deal. This is the chapter where that shit's defined. He's a business partner of Halliday, helped to invent the Oasis and bring it into reality and change the world. And he was described in the book as a cross between Albert Einstein and Santa Claus. Yeah. Now, initially, I had a little trouble imagining this. So what character, when you were filling in faces and, and people for the characters in the book, popped out at you for this guy? Mm. I'm guessing Simon Pegg wasn't at the top of it. No, list. he wasn't. I just a, Honestly, just Santa Claus, because I couldn't imagine the two together. I was just imagining Santa Claus being a smart person. <laughs> but what he's, just... when he's doing the interview, he seems jolly, <laughs> you know? He seems like a smart ass without a care in the world. Yeah. You know, yeah. just, just kind of like, oh no, you better shut me up before I say something that your bosses don't like. 
Yeah. I, you know, I know he's kind of during that part, he's kind of poking the bear a little bit because he knows yeah. he knows IOI owns the news network and such. But he comes off a little loony. Did you get that? Yeah. Like eccentric. Like, <laughs> yeah. Don't give a fuck, but in a weird, funny, but jolly just, sort of yeah, way. Yeah. Like it's it's humorous, but it's like something's not clicking right with this guy maybe he's been away from people for too long and so now he's in front of the camera for the first time in what did they say 10 years something like that that. yeah so maybe it's just the first time he's been able to interact with with anybody he struck me as as somebody who'd been hounded as a subject by the media and it even goes so far as to say that in the story you know for him to say you know you guys wouldn't freaking leave me alone yeah and that he was just pestered you know continuously so this is almost like good revenge you know they're they're coming to you now not as the subject but to talk on somebody else as the subject yeah and this is a great opportunity for ogden to kind of reach out and communicate to those players and he does like it would creep my ever-loving shit out if i was watching the feed and i'm parzival and he looks right into the camera and says, don't tell anyone who you are. Yeah. For the love of God. You know, if yours have any two cents and you got to be smart to have gotten this far, you keep your anonymity as long as possible. Well, he also, like, doesn't entirely give or buy into the fact that they're working together, Parzival and Artemis. Right. He's like, well, I don't know about that. But, you know, and then, yeah, and then he gives he gives both of them advice. Uh, and right. and warns about the Sixers, which is where where the uh, interview starts to take a turn. It does kind of like it gets it gets dark without actually saying without it. It feels like it's kind of like looking off into the horizon and seeing dark clouds on a sunny day. And you're like, well, it's sunny now, but yeah, shit's gonna get dark. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, that might uh, hit us. <laughs> that might hit us. It might pass us. I don't know. Uh, but when I was reading this, I was imagining Steve Wozniak. Yeah. And I went back today and, and looked at his picture, and he looks like a sort of a cherub Santa Claus. <laughs> so I'm thinking, like, he's got the grin. He's got the beard. So I'm thinking, like, what? I'm thinking Albert Einstein and Santa Claus just looks like Wozniak with really bad bed hair. And when he gets up in the morning. Just all over only the place. He just, like Doc yeah, he's Brown just like, hair? Fuck it. Yes, like Doc Brown hair. Doc Brown hair has perfect bed hair. Um, <laughs> so he's doing the interview, and he says, if, if it were me, I'd do everything possible to remain anonymous. And it was betting that the other eight slots would fill up fast because, as he put it, one person can keep a secret, but not two. But two, yeah. And at this point, I'm thinking, well, fuck. There are two people, and... If that was a hint towards anything, my thought was, well, who the fuck is going to tell anyone? Yeah, I thought that too, but I didn't necessarily, I didn't necessarily take it as one of them would break, right? But as we find out later in the chapter, uh, H stumbles onto the Tomb of Horrors by association. Yeah, 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 and. And isn't that the weird thing, right? Because when I reached that part, uh, I thought, 
you know, how weird is that, that it's that lack of anonymity? The fact that somebody knew Parzival by his name. Yeah. And just by knowing of them, you could kind of ascertain where it could be. Right. And at that point, my thought went to, uh, went to Iraq because that was so well highlighted in their interaction. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, I'm reflecting back. Now the interaction with Iraq makes more sense. It's not just some jerk in the hallway. Oh, school. yeah. It's Iraq saying, I make fun of this guy because I, take, I took him out once and then spied on him while he was killing cobalt. Right. This, this kid is not only poor, he can't get anywhere, he can't do anything. He's a nobody. I and know then, what he's capable of. And he's no not he's capable, capable of leaving Ludus. Yeah. So, but let me pull back a bit because we'll get to that. That's a few things, right. a few right. points down. Um, the Sixers, it was said, would use every dirty trick uh, to get the key and the first gate. And the worst part here being is that they know that there's a key and a gate. Like yeah. it's confirmed. Because but up till now, IOI's made, it seems, a lot of profit just consuming businesses and owning everything around it, and maybe even stuff within the Oasis. But it was never for sure until this point that the key and the gate ever even existed. Right. In previous chapters, they had said, you know, they would thought that maybe it was a, a MacGuffin, you know, or something that you just never find. Right. So... Well, now it's on their radar. Well, now it's on their radar. And I love how, how Og just continues to pick up the story and beat on IOI because we talked about IOI in the past a little bit in one chapter, how they sucked. But it wasn't just like a group of gunters under a business. Mm-hmm. Ogden specifically comes out and says their sole purpose is to exploit loopholes in the game and that the very soul of the, the Oasis is at stake. Right. And calls them a fascist multinational conglomerate, which isn't nice. <laughs> of course not. <laughs> if, what, what business can you think of today that, that if they had a hold of the internet as we knew it, would fall under the title, the grand title of fascist multinational conglomerate? I don't know. There's a lot of businesses that are kind of inching towards that. Yeah, like Facebook and Amazon. Really? Yeah. I hate to think Facebook because Facebook kind of has the nice face on it. Yeah, well, I mean, it's well, of course, yeah, I they agree, but. <laughs> <laughs> and they I'm are sure itching in the direction. Oh, I'm sure all of their intentions are good. <laughs> well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily argue that because a business is big that they're bad. Um, I would say that power corrupts, but it does kind of help. Uh, it does help if you have somebody at the helm that has their head on straight. Or maybe even ever so slightly. Uh, if I had to create a fascist multinational conglomerate, it'd probably be like a a cross between Walmart and Comcast. <laughs> well, you and, could say Comcast, or you could just insert your own, whoever, whatever your carrier is. <laughs> I just, you know, Comcast just has that sort of evilness. <laughs> evilness about it you know uh like the whole net neutrality thing you know wanting to come in and intercept traffic that's already being paid for and then prioritize and and 
premium traffic to given websites just feels that. Yeah. <laughs> just has has that feel that if Comcast had their way with the internet, you'd be going to Google and it'd be like, do you have the Google Plus account through Comcast? <laughs> I'm sorry, you can't search for porn on Google unless you have the Google Plus account. What? You want YouTube? Get the YouTube, subscribe to the YouTube channel, buy the whole internet video package from Comcast. It'd be like HBO, Cinemax, YouTube, <laughs> Netflix. <laughs> On top of paying for Netflix and YouTube Red, yeah, you'd have to pay for it both ways. Uh, yeah, that's that is. If I had to imagine anything even remotely close, it would be that, and also cinching up my ability to buy and have shit delivered. So maybe yeah. Amazon and yeah, uh, it, it, you know, and you know, Amazon runs everyone out of business, like Amazon and Walmart, and that's it. Right, and then prices go through the roof. <laughs> That, I think that's what IOI would begin to look like if they all kind of came if together. If they kind of melt together to form one. Uh, I, that's the kind of shit that gives yeah. me like nightmares as far as the internet's concerned. All right, so Aug is cut off as he starts to rant about IOI because being on Fox News, I mean, being on the <laughs> IOI-owned station, that was... <laughs> uh, they're not keen to him ranting about how bad they are. Right. But the nice part is we kind of roll into a backstory, which is where uh, that that Og and Jim Halliday grew up together, and we're introduced into this sort of new character, and it's not a character that we are introduced to directly, but it's somebody that seems to have motivated both of their lives heavily, and that's Kira. Right. Well, she's or, been mentioned, not by name, in a previous chapter. Uh, and you get a little bit more detail here about her. Yeah, and, and kind of the relationship and how all of that fleshed out before Halliday died. And the neat part about this is that if you're even if you've gotten this far in the book and you care as much about what's going through Halliday's mind as the characters in the book, this is as important a chapter as any that we've come to so far, because this is his ex best friend mm -hmm. and a gal that that as described is pretty much the only gal that he could comfortably talk to which is Kira. Yeah. And that Jim even had a crush on, and as did other boys that played D&D &D when they were in high school and first met. But as it turned out, Jim did not get Kira. Kira and Ogden uh, went to high school. She went back to England, and after high school came back because she was an exchange student, and they ended up living together. And then not too far down the road, got into a car accident where she was killed. But in reflecting back on her backstory, she was that that quintessential geek girl she chose her her name forced everyone to call her kira because of the main elfling character in the dark crystal which i thought was just damned awesome yeah did you see the dark crystal i yeah i've seen the dark crystal jim henson that was one of his best yeah just one of his freaky best like that that was the kind of show that at the age i saw it i had the hugest crush on kira and that same movie brought me nightmares <laughs> Because of the other weird shit in it. Just yeah. freaky, freaky shit. But that that quintessential geek girl that's obsessed with Monty Python and comic books and video games. Uh, so she gamed with, with Jim Halliday and gave him his nickname, Anorak. Yep. Uh, do you know what Anorak 
is the where the name comes from uh is it british slang or an obsessive geek the book says that and that is <laughs> totally true totally true yeah did a little more digging though it turns out that that Yes, it is British slang, but what it really refers to is an individual who has a near obsessive interest in a niche thing or a niche topic. Okay. And I don't know if you're familiar with train spotting or not, but there was a a, a large group of people that would it make it their hobby to go to train stations and they would take notes about the trains that were passing in different directions, what kind of trains they were. Uh, the numbers on the trains, potentially the destination, what time they passed. They were train spotters, and they were obsessive with their hobby in train spotting. And they would wear these jackets, these um, – they would wear these parkas called anorak. Mm. So they were nicknamed after the parkas they were, would wear while standing out in the cold taking these sort of obsessive notes about trains passing stations. And it just kind of got hooked in later afterwards that they would just call them, you know, anoraks. Interesting. But Halliday took that and and embraced it and named his D&D character after that and named his Oasis character after that. Yeah. Which I thought was cool because I'm sitting here thinking, how the hell does this writer come up with all these kick-ass names? It just <laughs> seemed to mean absolutely not. Right, right. I I even went to I went to I like took anorak and like munched it apart. I was like maybe maybe there's a hidden word here. Maybe no, it actually it's after. It's just anorak. A fucking parka. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you did, if you looked up anorak, did you look up uh, her D and D name? Um, what is it? Lakosia. 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 Hold on a minute. I have it written here. Uh, I I didn't look that up. Did you look that up? I'm going to right now. Okay. I'm sorry. I think it's Locusia. It's one of those things where, like, I read it in the book and I recognize it, but I'm not sure where the pronunciation lies. Yeah. Locusia. And when I say read, I mean I heard Will Reaton say it, which means I should probably just say it like he said it. A possible name for one of the sirens of Greek mythology. Oh, really? (laughs) Also a genus of crabs. So maybe stay away from I, her. <laughs> I on on two accounts yeah. because the sirens were intended to draw men to their death. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and then the other is crabs. And then the other one's crabs. Right. Yeah, that's not good all around. <laughs> um but it sounds really good as a game name though. Right. Right. Wow, Lucasia, that's that's a great name. Where'd you get that? It means crabs. It means crabs. It means crabs. Okay, well, I'm going to sit on the other side of the table. <laughs> and it's one of the gals that would, like, have men come at them, and then they would die at their feet. It turns out I'm a good singer, though. So I got that going for me. <laughs> All right, so Jim was described as extremely nervous and that he he could talk to Kira in a relaxed manner, but even then, only during the course of a gaming session. Or only in Anorak's voice, right? Right, yeah. So, you know, when, we're, when it's reflecting back in this period of time when he has a crush on her, and it's not yet nailed down that she is going to end up hooking up with Ogden down the road. Not completely, maybe. Like, maybe there's a chance, right? Yeah. Uh, 
that there's this avenue, this singular avenue, and a singular person at the end of that avenue that he can converse with and communicate with, even as inadequate as it might be in only his, that voice for that character, in, in the realm of role-playing, that I wonder if this isn't one of those cornerstones to creating the Oasis. Like yeah. If we needed a reason to create the Oasis, there might be a handful of things, and one of them is that a, a, this is a means for him to communicate. This is a means for Ogden, I'm sorry, for Halliday to create a realm where he can be comfortable and communicate with the ladies, or really with anyone, yeah, yeah. under under this role playing guys, right? In a in a virtual reality that everyone's in, almost as if he's creating a, a realm where he can be himself, where in the real world he cannot. Yeah, and I thought, well, if you needed a reason, another cornerstone to justify that, here's kind of yeah. The this seemed one. this seemed like one of those defining moments. Yeah, like. How can I be able to speak to her on a more permanent level and do it through the avenue that I know I'm going to be comfortable with? Right. How can I continue to speak to you as Anorak? <laughs> Forever. Can we, yeah. <laughs> can we have this continuous game that we live in where I can be Anorak and speak to you? Th- I'm thinking I'm going to plug my shit into stuff, <laughs> and there's going to be a world where I'll always be Anorak. Yeah. But that would be an interesting inspiration. Like, if you had to imagine the Oasis, the question might be, how could I be someone else in the realest way possible? Mm-hmm. Uh, which is a is weird question, because all you have to do is move to another city and act potentially differently. I kind of wonder, like, how real would VR have to get to make you to, to, to go over that hump and end up on the other side of, oh, I'm uncomfortable again? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, it's also interesting that he's he's Anorak before the Oasis too. Yeah. So he's still yeah. I mean, it's still a real version of him in the Oasis as Anorak. I, I gotta wonder if he this communicated is like, in the real world as Anorak. But as a role playing version of Anorak. Right. That that would be as if like I could only communicate to you as Sean Connery. As Sean Connery. <laughs> right. And then I went into VR, and I had the body of Sean Connery. And, John, don't you love me more? And the answer would be no. Uh, yeah, right. Uh, but I think that's kind of, that's interesting. That's a neat little sort of psychosis. Yeah. And and I wonder how many people in reality today, given a lot of the mental disorders, would find mental comfort in, a, in an alternate reality uh, that allowed them to be kind of more than, than they feel they are themselves. Right, yeah. So, polling back, after high school, Kira moved in with Ogden, and soon after she left GSS, and then Ogden followed five years later starting uh, their own company, and he left the left the, the business saying that the Oasis had evolved into something horrible, uh, that it was a pleasant place for the world to hide from its problems while civilization collapsed from neglect. So... This is something that all three of us have kind of spun around over and over again, which feels like the sort of which came first, the, the chicken or the egg. Okay. Did did the oasis lead to the downfall of humanity in its current state as the book presents it? Or 
was it kind of on its way, and then the Oasis just opened the doorway to escape from a reality that was already heading to shit. Yeah. Uh, and it seems like there's at least a little bit of an answer here from Ogden's perspective. Right. But since it is being brought up again, how far away, if we were to compare this to a clock and midnight being all of humanity, head in the sand, and reality going to shit, how far away do you think we are? You know, at, at what place on the clock are we from doomsday in this sort of scenario? In our real life scenario? For real life, real life scenario or now? Okay. Uh, 8.30. Mm-hmm. 8.37. A.M.? P.M. Oh. <laughs> so several hours to midnight, but still clouds. Making our, making our way. So why do you think 8.30 then? I still think there's a bit of a distance between where we're at now in with VR and it becoming uh, a self-imposed prison to escape the real-life atrocities of the world. Um, I could see it happening, but I don't see it happening now. Do you think we're any closer than that? Um, You know, uh, whenever I look on the news and I hear about the 1%, right? Uh, You know, with lots of protests against the 1%, and not just an inequality as far as pay is concerned, but an inability for uh, social levels for people to move from one uh, socioeconomic platform to another, to get from being poor to middle class, from middle class to upper middle class, to wealthy, to rich. There's about five or six platforms that they kind of put people in, and that it's difficult to move, very difficult to move from one to the other. Mm-hmm. And then I think about, you know, the rest of the world, how a majority of the people that live in the U.S., even in poverty, are still in that 1% in regards to the rest of the world. So it kind of makes me wonder if just where we're living in the U.S. doesn't all automatically put us into something like the Oasis without actually knowing we're there and without fully realizing how bad it is elsewhere. Because I hear about wars, and I hear about, you know, horrible, horrible things. And I flip past it fast because I go, ooh, that, that's got to suck. And Thank then goodness I move on. that's not here. <laughs> Thank goodness that's not here. But occasionally I'll think, you know, what would that look like here? What would it take to go from, you know, uh, a thriving London to a bombed London after, you know, Germany basically launched their attack and a, a blown out, bombed out London, you know, what would it take to go from coffee shop down the street to muddy water in the backyard? Uh, and I know it's a real down point for the book, but I, <laughs> I, I kind of wonder if living where we live right now isn't like the Oasis and if we're not kind of already there. And the difference is that no one's taken off no one's busted into the van to take off our VR haptic sets. Yeah. I mean, it's, I could see where you're, where you're going with that. As far as being somewhat oblivious to some of the real things that are happening outside of the U.S. that matter. Right. Um, that we necessarily don't recognize. So without having done a lot of personal travel myself and seen a lot of these things, I don't know where on the clock I'd put it. It feels like 8.30 is right. I feel like, you know, we're past dinner. 
Yeah. We may not see food for a while. <laughs> uh, but maybe somewhere somewhere in the 8.30 range, somewhere in the 9 o'clock range, maybe even, maybe, you know, you, you hear about the, uh, uh, the, 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 what is it, the doomsday clock, that scientists kind of go, where oh, are we? Yeah. I know. And, and it seems like. Aren't we like every, 10 to midnight? <laughs> yeah. Something like Minutes that. from midnight. Yeah. And it, it feels like every time they're like, well, we just inched a minute closer. You know? Yeah. This guy did this thing. This person hit this button. This person obtained nuclear material. We are one minute closer. And I'm like, look, if you're exaggerating, you don't have many opportunities to exaggerate <laughs> left. Yeah, pretty soon we're gonna we're gonna be within like ten seconds, and yeah, it's, you know it's like you know you've got only minutes left, so um, they'd better be good ones. Yeah, uh, but but at the same time, I also feel like if I'm laughing about that sort of thing, then uh, you know maybe I'm the fool, totally blind to a a seriousness. Like I'm looking at the bird, the the canary in the cage, and going, "Ugh, this is a fucked up time to sleep, stupid bird." And just keep on walking forward. You know what I mean? Yeah. Wake up. Wake up. Christ, why do they always fall asleep? <laughs> I get it. It's a boring walk. It's dark. It's a cave. Yeah. So I I don't know. I, I, sometimes I feel like this is the oasis. Particularly when, I, when pe- you ask people like, how's it going? And they go, live in the dream. Oh, jeez. Christ, I, I've I, I never that. said that. I've never said live in the live dream. Live in the dream. And I go, really? Whose dream? <laughs> mine's a nightmare. <laughs> you, know, you know, you got Bobby that's like, you know, filtering water through a rag in the middle of, you know, BFE. We might be living his dream. Yeah. I'm thinking maybe. And just not appreciating it. Right. Right. All right. I'll 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 move on. <laughs> well, more on the uh, the morrow. Kira thing. Well, I mean, they mm-hmm. start, they start, uh, boy, Halcedonia Interactive, free adventure games for kids, <laughs> interactive adventure games for kids. And Parzival mentions that, you know, they were basically some of his first teachers because those, those are the games that he was playing. So when mom was turning tricks in the Oasis and sticking a headset on him as a young kid, yeah. And this is what I thought was neat. While he may have gone into the Oasis as an escape, I think it's really neat here that fundamentally he was taught by the Moros. Yeah. Through Halcedonia. And that he very specifically mentions that that's where he learned math. That's mm-hmm. where he learned problem solving. That's where he built self-esteem. Which if it was me and I went into the Oasis or any game and I caught even the slightest whiff of education, you know, I'd be like, nope, fuck this game. <laughs> right. Like, you gotta, you gotta trick my shit with that. You know what, what is, I mean? What was you that gotta, game, like, uh, I, this might have been, this might have been uh, after your time in grade school. What, it was like number crunchers or math crunchers or something uh, like that. Do you remember that? They just, I, there are all kinds of, and there still are. Like, like, I'll go to my son and I'll be like, hey, Let's play some Minecraft. He's like, awesome, let's play Minecraft. But let's play it on this computer, and we can hack Minecraft by coding. <laughs> nope. <laughs> no, not really. Um, But hey, wouldn't it be cool if you could make lava cold? 
Nope. <laughs> no. What if you could control the character? What if you could change the damage your character could? Nope. No, I'm just going to go play real Minecraft, Dad. <laughs> I'm just going to do the real game. I, um, I don't want to learn how you do what you do at work. Because uh, that's boring. The keyword. Because the keyword there is work. Yeah. <laughs> like, I could not trick his shit into into learning a game, like, using a game to learn something. Yeah. He's, he's like I was. Like, if my dad was like, here, read this. Yeah. I'll teach you English. Fuck that. Yeah. And for years I didn't read because of that. And still don't. That's why I have Will Wheaton read shit. <laughs> but it's, it's funny that you say... Like, even in the Oasis, he's still learning from the Maros. Yeah. Uh, I looked up, this is one that I looked up. So I, I didn't find anything on Halcedonia or, or anything, but Halcyon was close. <laughs> and I got a I definition looked, I looked up of, that word. I didn't find shit. Oh, what did you find? Denoting a period in the past that was happy and peaceful. Which well, I thought made perfect sense for this situation. That makes, that makes perfect fucking sense because when he left, and he says that the Oasis is no longer about gaming, right, uh, and that it's 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 gone to a dark place. Yeah, it's turned into something he doesn't necessarily feel a part of or wants to be a part of anymore. So then to start this, it together with Kira, makes a lot of sense. If that's so what they're that basing that name off of. To go back to a happier time. Right. All right. So I think that like kind of brings us into the next part. Uh, and I'll wrap this around pretty nicely, I think. I wasn't sure how I was going to do that, but this just fucking cinches it. I'm so glad you looked up that word. I looked Halcedonia. I couldn't find Jack. Yeah, I couldn't Everyone either. Everyone was using. I had to was, find something using, similar. Like, everyone was using that name as like. Uh, um. Uh, you know, uh, like I found websites off, you know, purchased by Russians. <laughs> <laughs> you laugh. I'm dead serious. Like WordPress, and it just there were pages and pages of shit that was as recent as the past three years. Yeah, I looked back before 2000 and found like one thing, and that's because it was recently bumped by somebody with that name. It's fucked up. Yeah, I'm glad you looked. I'm glad you looked that up. So. Og and Halliday had this huge falling out that they did not talk for 10 years. And this was while Kira was still alive. Mm -hmm. So they don't quite come out and say what it was about. And more importantly, is Og ain't going to touch it. He specifically said, I'm not going to tell you what we fought about. I, I'm not, I didn't tell you before, and I'm not going to tell you in the future. All I can tell you is we haven't talked in 10 years. Right. But when Halliday died... One of the things that the interview asks, interviewer asks is, why did Halliday leave his vast collection of classic coin-op video games to Og? And that wraps back around yep. to, I think, that name, Halcedonia. Yeah, it definitely does. Because what I was thinking, like, why, the, why would, if I was Og, of all the things he could leave, money not being a thing anymore, because everyone's fucking rich on this part of the table, right? Yeah. Why would he leave his coin-op video games? Why do you think he would leave his coin-op video games? Well, <laughs> denoting a period in the past that was happy and peaceful. I mean, that's like the right. origin of back when they were happy doing what they were doing, creating video games. I mean, that's what their a lot of their friendship and future was based off of. 
and, and, and even it, playing video games. Right, and it took a turn at some point after that. So it totally makes sense for him to, not necessarily an, an apology. Yeah, but maybe an admittance that he was right. Right. Like, like here's, here's all the machines that, that you and I had fun playing. Or we, and if, if, yeah, yeah, sorry. Uh, or we can't agree on where it came to, but back when we were on the same page, this is what meant maybe the most to us. Yeah. Yeah. And, and here's that symbol of, of when, when we could kind of come together and, and do something that we both enjoyed. Yeah. You know, that, you know, reflecting back on that time that was more peaceful and more enjoyable. Yeah. But when I reflect this, when I think about how this is an interesting symbol, uh, if if I had to imagine H and and Parzival in the same kind of situation and they hadn't talked to each other and things go to shit, you know, what symbol or maybe what set of symbols could Parzival give to H? A copy of, copy of Ladyhawk? <laughs> that would seem okay. appropriate. That could be appropriate. I mean, or, it, or maybe... basically, I think they would come down to what they've played in the basement. Yeah. What did they do in the basement? Like playing joust. Yeah. Like maybe just giving one joust machine would be kind of like, you know, you know, this this is me saying that uh I I remember and long for the time when we enjoyed playing with each other. Yeah. And I think that's really kind of kind of gets me in the feels. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely fitting. Cool. I, and that you actually that you kind of came to Halcedonia uh just just kind of tightly wraps that together in the, in the same chapter because I, I at first it was just kind of like a a harebrained idea like maybe that's just his way of saying you were right. Right. But with the Halcedonia kind of really speaking directly to that that's freaking yeah. really direct. Yeah, it's got to be. So he closes up his his research on Morrow, opens up his email, and like everybody's email, has received two million unsolicited messages. Right. All of all which spam. he shuffles into a folder, all spam. <laughs> all spam. Like, God, everyone wants to offer me money. Oh, I'll look <laughs> yeah. at this later. <laughs> That's a rough problem to have, really. And then he shuffles all of that into a folder, and there's only two emails remaining that he cares about, and that's H and Artemis. And and we'll address both of these separately, but you know, he calls H back. And when I got to this part in the book, what were you thinking when you got to this part? Like, obviously H knows now. Everyone fucking knows. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's, well, he's been frantically trying to get a hold of him. Uh, and I think... I, he even meant, I think Wade even mentions it. He's just, I got to talk to somebody about this. I'm like, whether or not right. I can actually talk about it, <laughs> I have to at least talk about what has happened. So it's uh, right. therapeutic in a way. Let me get this off my chest. I can't tell you my deep, dark secrets, but right, let right. me at least get this off my chest. So it's less of a weight that, uh, that I'm carrying. Were you afraid that H was going to be pissed off? No. Well, no, I wasn't. Feel like it might could go down that but road. It would have been interesting if he had had that reaction. Although the fact that it led him to the tomb of horrors mm -hmm. well, may be yeah. why he wouldn't be pissed off. 
you know, so he's still, there's still a, it still leaves the door open for him to have that sort of uh, menace to him. Yeah. But yeah, right now it doesn't, it doesn't seem like that would be an appropriate reaction. When I, when I had read up to this point, I felt like, okay, so they've already demonstrated the kind of friendship they've got in his basement. But they also demonstrated this sort of uh, very aggressive competitiveness and knowledge. And that when one person was more right than the other in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. That it could cause a sore spot. Like, for example, Joust. You know, H would continually beat him at Joust. And Joust was the thing that they used to solve uh, arguments. And then when when Parzival got better than the Joust, it was basically kind of like rage quitting Joust. Yeah, it's just like fuck. Anymore. We're do what's do something else. Yeah. So the reflection on that relationship kind of like led me to this point where I was like, they're good friends, but like this is a whole other realm now. Yeah. And how is how is H going to handle that? Because it's kind of like Big Brother, Little Brother. Like Big Brother, Brother is rich and famous and has his own basement and has a bunch of people that think that he is awesome and he's a PvP player and he's respected by his peers. And Parzival is like little brother that knows a lot of shit, uh, but that isn't riding on his coattails, but at least in a related sort of way, kind of like because you're related, you get some respect from the community yeah. just because you're allowed to hang with H. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. It's almost like he got street creds by hanging with H. Yeah. But then when, when Big Brother is surpassed by Miles, you know, how is he going to react? He, yeah, how is he going to react to people's perception of him being behind, quote-unquote, his little brother in Parzival? Yeah, or even his popularity just being nerfed. Yeah. You know, could you imagine going in and you're like, all right, let's get this game started. And everyone talking about Parzival. And mm -hmm. you just want to go, I fucking knew Parzival before he was hip. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Uh just wanting to be to kind of shout that or or uh, or go, just shut the fuck up about Parzival. Let's get the game done. Yeah. I, I could kinda I was so I was afraid when we got here that like this would throw them into a different relationship dynamic suddenly. Yeah. I was kind of hoping it wouldn't, and I was really glad. Yeah, when, you know, H gets on the phone and he's like, "I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. <laughs> right. You are a fucking god now. Yeah. Do you realize yeah, do you, what you have done? <laughs> do you not realize this, fool? <laughs> like all of a sudden, he's the only one that can call Parzival fool. Yeah. Right. It's still still on that level. Well, I do think but it's that cool he, that like he's the only one that can congratulate him at this point, and he goes yeah. overboard congratulating him. Uh, it's just you want somebody that's like this in your life that yeah. when you do great, they don't think of you as that now you're that asshole that won the lottery and now we're not going to be friends anymore. They look at it as, oh, my God, that is so awesome for you and maybe even awesome for me. Yeah. <laughs> but still that they're overwhelmingly happy for you. Yeah. It's so hard to find friends that 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 can be there and do that and even persist. Uh, that don't show any really... sign of jealousy in in those moments. And, and the flip of that, admiration. Yeah. And happiness for someone else's happiness. Right. Uh, just um, 
just wild. I was like, well, that's God. Isn't that the best friend that everyone wishes they could have? <laughs> no, I can't. Almost I, too I know, perfect. <laughs> almost too perfect. Uh, but then he goes on to say, you are a god from this moment forth. Now, while this might sound like flattery, it's this is true. It's pretty fucking true. He says, the world is freaking out. The gunter boards are going apeshit. You know, he is like, he's the Oasis Jesus. Let's just bring that out there. Yeah. That's, he's kind of, that's him. Well, and kind of. He's the first, he, no matter what happens, whether he succeeds in the hunt or not, he's the first one to find the key. He's the mm-hmm. first one to unlock the first gate. There's no taking that away. No. But, I mean, it, when I say Oasis Jesus here, and I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily subscribe to that faith, but when I think on a, on a, 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 uh, a religious spectrum of archetypical characters that you could pull from. You're talking about somebody who was impoverished, comes from a poor place, uh, walked a hard path, and has now had the weight of being the savior of this digital realm lofted onto his shoulders. And he has to carry this shit. And the god is dead. And, And technically speaking, you know, when a person goes from being iconic to sort of godlike in our society, it requires them dying. Yeah. To move into a state of God. And in this case, it required Halliday dying to move into sort of a godlike state, so much so that they believe that that he's still somewhat in his the ghost of his of his avatar in a programmatic sort of way still haunts the oasis. Yeah. To a, to a certain degree. Uh, that 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 God based that the God of the Oasis has now shouldered him as being the savior. Even so much that Ogden says the, the soul of the Oasis is at stake. Yeah. And that that is now on Parzival's shoulders. And to think he just wakes up and shuffles two million emails into a folder and goes, <laughs> who am I going to call first? Yeah. Well, just imagine <laughs> if he was a, if, if he was slightly weaker uh, of a person that, like in character? Yeah. That okay. I mean, you're looking at countless news agencies and and others that are willing to offer you money. If it would if money was a motivating factor for him, I think he'd take a moment at this point. I took a moment. Well it <laughs> like I'm <laughs> I mean it's like, like okay, re- two hundred and forty six billion dollars or whatever it is. Like, yeah, I could have that if I work a lot harder and continue on. Right. But I could have a shit ton of money now just by giving interviews, offering yeah. up information. I mean, yeah, I mean, even the news, even though Ogden said, do not let the news people get a hold of you. Right. Even even they even showed like that we we've offered a generous sum for an interview in the real world or in the Oasis. I was like. In the Oasis? Yeah. Like, you could still remain somewhat anonymous? Uh, uh, really? That's, and then I'd be like, Og, are you sure? Because I don't have, like, a bazillion dollars like you've got. <laughs> um, and it would be in the Oasis, so... Yeah. You know... <laughs> I could dress up totally differently. My appearance would be different than what I'm used to. Uh, wear a mustache yeah just a, just one of, one of those uh one of those glasses with the nose and the mustache on. 
You could buy that now. You got gold <laughs> from the dungeon. Right, right. You, you could have an unlimited number of costumes to wear to this interview. But yeah, he just I mean, he just separates all those emails. Eh, let's get to the important ones. Sure. And it's yeah. and it's uh, H and Artemis. The only two. Yeah. Uh, yeah, right. So moving, I guess, past H. Uh, and I thought this was interesting because, well, H, first off, asks for a hint. But I think he knew that he wasn't going to get one. But I think it was just like in fun. Like, yeah. You got a hint for me? He's like, no, I can't do that. And he's like, yeah, I understand. And that's when he pulls away to show yeah. that he is in the tomb. Or out, outside the tomb. Oh, outside the tomb. Yeah, this, right. which this is, uh, as far as the workings of the Oasis or specifically the Tomb of Horrors, uh, this brought up a question in, in my mind. So he's outside and he reveals to Parzival, like, yeah, I'm outside. I'm, you know, I'm looking at the module right now. So I'm wait waiting, for, the for, thing waiting to reset. for this thing to reset after your after your friend Artemis just went through there today. Mm-hmm. So it made me think if it has to reset every time that somebody right. goes through there and it resets what every 24 hours, right? Well, that's yeah. Mm-hmm. So is there only one attempt at the tomb a day total? You know what I mean? Like there could be hundreds or thousands of avatars waiting to get into the tomb of horrors, but if it has to reset, you know, if you can only be attempted once a day, then I know it's like it's like waiting in line to ride uh, the Harry Potter rides at Disney or or uh, Universal. You're gonna be there a while. Well, yeah. I mean, is is that is that exactly how it works? Or I know Artemis mentioned uh, when she met Parzival in the tomb, like, well, let's let's. I've been here trying to beat him, and let's see what happens if we both go at him. Um, so uh, I don't know because. I don't know. You know, at the end when when like does everybody just and, go into the tomb at once and be and just like, okay, <laughs> let's just all take care of a Sarak and then everybody gets the key. Well after Parzival beat him, uh he turns into does he turn into Anorak at that time? Does he transmutate or transform yeah. into Anorak? Yeah. Okay. And then he goes away. And then the Deus is gone. So my guess is that if the Deus ha- hasn't killed you and you beat the Deus, Deus gone for another twenty four hours, possibly. Yeah, that's what that's what I took away from the encounter with Artemis, which was that she still had to wait a number of minutes for the tomb to reset, and that she was blocking Parzival's way to leave, so that when it reset, he'd have to go through all those damn traps yeah. in reverse. Right, and then. She'd she'd have to do her thing. And then since the day reset, we're talking about the very next day at the end of that day is when H, H is, is waiting H, for the tomb wait, to H reset. There, yeah. Because it's it's already been ransacked, right? Yes, is the best right. way to put it. You know, the gold is gone or the dais is gone. She beat him, so the dais must be gone. Right. Maybe he's just waiting for all that shit to reset. So it's just uh, interesting how like how quickly if if that's the case, how quickly can can people actually run through the tomb and defeat uh, a Sarak and gain the 
the copper key if it's only a one chance per <laughs> one shot per one day. chance per day yeah uh something i think that artemis had brought up in a previous chapter which was hey why don't we just wait till if you didn't make it through why don't we both wait that, yeah. after midnight and see what and happens we can both go if we both go at them yeah that's what yeah i kind of that's what i kind of thought back to was like well if this is the case and that is brought up as an option in a previous chapter, then I wonder if they, I hope it's explained. Right. Uh, because right. that would just be, uh, in my mind, that's a pretty big deal to just kind of gloss over without any explanation. I agree. But before H goes into the cave, uh, Parzival gives him a hint. Which yeah. was while you're waiting, you need to brush up on some joust. Yeah. And already H has said, Look, dude, I am indebted to you because you may not have told me, you may not have given me a hint, but just because you did it. <laughs> yeah, I know. Because <laughs> I know you're you are too poor to go anywhere or to have anything. There's only one place it had to be. Mm-hmm. Uh just by being parsable, uh, that gave enough away, which reflects back to the crumbling anonymity that they have got because of who knows them and the fact that H is now going to become popular because he's, he's pretty set that he's going to get it. Right. Uh, and that if, and when that happens, it, it's going to be very easy, particularly for IROC. Yeah. To make the connection that, you know, Parzival and I know Parzival ain't got shit in this world because I've been making fun of him because <laughs> of it. And then he gets it. And then, H gets it. So it has got to be in a place where the two of them are in the same place at the same time frequently. Yeah. And and there's that fear that, oh, fuck, they know me. They need anonymity in the VR realm, in the Oasis. And because they don't have that. So it. So if H, because you're right, H does I mention and waits on the, or Parzival, is on the same page. Like, well, I was thinking that if when I do this, somebody's going to know, and they're both, you know, mm-hmm. well, I rock. So what would happen? I mean, H is basically the one that opens the floodgates. Right. So if H was the best friend to Parzival, he could have just said, listen, Take man, for the I, team. Know, I know what what me going into this tomb could mean i'm going to hold off i'm going to wait but i know oh, i know what they're they're in they're in they they they're competing against each other i mean that's uh-huh. what their friendship is based on so i understand why that, he didn't do that but it just it it's it's an interesting question cuz he is the key to opening up the flood of um, of assumptions, yeah, you know, correct, correct assumptions. Uh, you're right. Uh, if there was, if there was, if if Iraq is is beating down H's door because they both know the guy that just got the damn key in the gate. Yeah, if he's beating down his door with with suspicion, then H getting the key is confirmation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's cool that he brought it up to say, look, uh, I'm going to do this, but just to let you know, yeah. Hell, you know, hell is going to bust loose. Yeah. And here's the guy that may be leading that charge. 
But more importantly, even if H didn't, I don't want to put the responsibility on H's shoulders for trying to take one for the team per se by not going and doing right. You know, I was just posing the other Wait, side of things. That's a good point. Like if you're a buddy, you won't do that, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, you, you, if you would do me a favor and cock block Irock, that would <laughs> right. be great. <laughs> but you know, Irock already knows Parzival. And how long would it take before the news and media and stuff turn their attention from Parzival not responding to anybody else who might know them yeah. responding? And that IROC would, would basically speak up, possibly. And, uh, and uh, you know, that, that's basically what's hinted at the end of this chapter, is that, that you know, he could he could kind of break that anonymity boundary, at least as far as the Oasis is concerned. Uh, pretty interesting. And also, yeah. that's the dark clouds. Like, when we talked about the dark clouds yeah. earlier, when I heard that, I was like, ah, oh, you know, I immediately said, ah, oh, shit. And then Will Wheaton was like, shit. I was like, yes, I know. <laughs> While I drive to work. <laughs> uh, so I, I thought that was pretty cool. But another thing I thought that was really interesting was that while he drops the hint about Joust, it seems like he immediately regrets it. Yeah. You know? that, that, that's, like, that's like being friends with, with a gal and, and then saying, uh, uh, I have feelings for you. <laughs> it's, it changes the dynamic of the relationship, doesn't yeah. it? I mean, all of a sudden, he, he gives, no longer... He gives Artemis... He gives Artemis a clue within, and I know he's been smitten with her, but I mean, it's within seconds of meeting her. He's basically like, maybe you should switch sides when you get up there. And so so maybe he kind of just like, you know what? You got to even the playing field a little bit. Well, it's just, you know, I gave, I gave a clue to somebody I didn't even know. It speaks more to his character, maybe. Maybe he just can't help himself. Like they'll get or him maybe on the it's news. Just like I know something. Let me just tell you because I know I this. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't a spoiler. This isn't a spoiler. But right. yeah, this I'm just is going to say it. I'm just going to get is, it out there. Yeah, this is what Ryan Joust. does. <laughs> this is what Ryan does to me. This isn't Come a spoiler. On, uh, I won't say anything, but just keep in mind. <laughs> Joust. <laughs> That's a Ryan shout out if you're on the road and you're listening to this, if I happen to get this out in the next couple of days. Uh, (laughs) uh, But I can see him getting on the news and going, well, I did tell two other people, so I'll just announce it to the world. Joust. Yeah, just all I'll say is joust. (laughs) I could see him on Twitter. Very difficult. Heart challenge. Joust. (laughs) Very sad. Uh, So... (laughs) But this is where you have two people who are athletes practicing together to now two athletes competing against each other. Mm-hmm. So the, the dynamic changes from this point forward. And he immediately kind of reflects on regretting having helped him a little bit in that moment and maybe yeah. even accidentally leading him to the key just through interacting with him. Like like almost saying, God, you know, I I probably shouldn't have been as close to him as as I was because now where is this going to go? Yeah. Friendship-wise, what are they going to be when this relationship changes? And I that can happen in a marriage. 
you know, when you go from dating to propose to being married, the, the, the realm changes and you just got to hope that you know the person well enough to know that if the dynamic changes, that there's a, a fundamental level of the relationship that will hold it together. Right, right. Or if you go into business with somebody. Yeah. Or, or do a podcast with someone. <laughs> uh, or, but, you know, you're changing the relationship into one where there are expectations and, and Well, you needs. add different elements to the relationship yeah. as a whole. And, yeah. uh, and, and you hope that, that the core of what brought you together the, to begin with, to begin with and what kind of, you know, makes things cool uh, is woven tight enough to hold those changes together. Yeah. So, you know, when I read this, I felt like that was more clouds on the horizon. He's hanging up the phone and going, oh, I don't feel good about what I just did. I shouldn't have told that girl I'm in love with her. It was too soon, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And then now it's going to be awkward. Like, now it's going to be like, uh, so you've got the key? Yeah, I've got the key. You got, Oh, yeah. About that, yeah. That's, <laughs> I'm glad we both got that now. Uh, Want to go hang out? No, no, I've got to. I've got a. I've got another limerick. Yeah, I've got stuff I gotta do. Just a <laughs> more of this hunt stuff before I hit Zach. It's, it's no big deal. Um, but let's get together next week, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, def- uh, just, no definite uh, time. I'll call you. I'll, I'll give call you. A call. you. <laughs> I'll call you. Right. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna slip out of the uh, tomb of horrors in the middle of the night. Well, I mean, yeah. Be- up until up until now, it was still kind of. It was more just in fun challenging mm-hmm. each other to like do you you know like are you the most knowledgeable about this can you play this better than i can and now it's well now it's getting serious because this is starting to mean a lot more like two samurai warriors honing their skills against each other but but with the intention of honing their skills but then finally they're pitched into battle against each right. other and now they know each other but they're forced to fight against each other. And, mm-hmm. and maybe there's a degree of camaraderie, even though being on opposite sides. And there's that weird, I don't know. It's, well, the, it's the point the, of the book. You know it's going gonna, it's gonna to come to a point where, I, 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 at least I feel, it's set up this way, where it's going to come to a, a point of... of uh, uh, contention? Contention, yes. I was afraid of unless, that. Unless it's just like, unless it's just like, okay, well, Marsville's always ahead of me. I'm still trying up. He got it. Good for him. But bitch, <laughs> I mean, I'm following yeah, I mean, up. It, so watch your there, back. Yeah, there, I mean, there's, there's, there's <laughs> obviously going to be an element to this friendship that's tested even further. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's a, I, at this point in the book, I was I was uh, I was concerned. Yeah, I was kind of like, oh, I really like their dynamic. I hope this doesn't get awkward. <laughs> but it has to. But it kind of has to. Uh, all right. So we shut down. We 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 turn off the phone, and now we get to the real email that he's been wanting to get to. And this part of the chapter, I don't remember being this short. It's quite possible I don't remember the end of the chapter. That's pretty short. That's that's yeah. It was really short. It's just you know he opens an email where Artemis is like, "Hey, congrats, you sly son of a bitch." <laughs> Uh, and then, you know, she's like, don't think I owe you one, but thanks for that tip. And he's like, oh, what are you talking about? I already figured that shit out. By the way, let's get together sometime. <laughs> yeah. 
I told you I was better than you. You know, like like he throws up like a moment of badassery. Like, yeah. I already got that shit figured out. Hey, let's go hang sometime. <laughs> like, you know, he's like being, you know, it's like, hey, you asshats. I love you guys. Yeah. <laughs> what? Well, it, it definitely seems like a, like a not very mature high school relationship at this point. Where they're writing, yeah. where they're writing handwritten notes to each other, it's passing it, yeah, to the desk next to them, right? Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I thought it was interesting. I didn't, I don't know if it was necessary to say, but I thought it was neat that he put it in the book, where she mentioned how it would have been cool if she was given the option to play Ali Sheedy, yeah, in war games, and. You know, I, I thought back immediately to some of the games I played, like Battlefield 1, for example, where until just recently there were no mm-hmm. female representations. I get it. World War II, front lines, lots of dudes getting killed. Yeah. The characters are going to be guys. But I've got female friends that play this game. And trying to imagine being in their position where it's it's a whole other flip of the world yeah, where the games they're enjoying are just it, the only like, persona they've got are these males. Yeah, it's like that for it. Well, I mean, it's slowly changing, but I mean, it's like it's been like that for a majority of games where you've got male character to choose from. Uh, right, and not saying that it would be a downside for me to play a game where the main character is a female, but it's. All games, <laughs> or majority of sure. the games, that's that's your only option. So yeah, you don't get to really. I I it is interesting that she that she's brings up that that idea of I, I just, wish I could have played the female role in this movie. Yeah, yeah, because uh, because is there a point where 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 they kiss main character like Ali Sheedy and um um. And Matthew Broderick. What's his name? Matthew Broderick. Do they kiss? They hug and kiss for a moment or something like that. What do you think? I could have sworn. I, I don't know. I could have sworn it was like a kiss. I'm thinking she had to play the role where she had to kiss Ali Sheedy. And if that's not how, you know, how she is as portrayed in the book, then she's like, oh, I got to kiss a girl. But, oh, you know, it was in the movie. So WTF, right? Uh, well, I'm when just the saying, cam- imagine how When I'm... the cameras are on. <laughs> is that what you're getting at? No, no, that's not, that's not getting that at all. No, I, I'm just saying how awkward would it be if I was to, to flip the coin? Oh, yeah. And and have to be in a movie where the female is the main role and she has to kiss a guy. And I'd be like, I got to act out kissing a guy. And I'm not homophobic in, in the slightest way, but but still going, man, that's going to be kind of weird. Yeah. It, it, but that know, would, I'm that cool would... with everyone else doing it, but for me, but mm, that would, so yeah, that would definitely solidify your opinion on uh, wanting to play the other, the, the character that represented your gender. Yeah, precisely. Like it, there's a degree of comfort there. And I suppose when acting and whatnot, you just kind of toss that the, to the wind and incorporate the character you've become, yeah. the character that, that you're, you're adopting. Uh, but but again, sympathizing with uh, female gamers and the games that are out there and the kinds of uh, women role models that are in those games. Like, it's only until recently where women have kind of, I think where pretty much the gaming world has realized there's a multi-billion dollar audience in women playing games. Take mm-hmm. a look at, like, for example, Overwatch. All the characters I play are female. 
because they have kick-ass powers. <laughs> you know, because they've got they've got particular skills and stuff that that just are tuned to the stuff that I'm more comfortable doing in that game. Right. And I think nothing of it playing those characters. Yeah. I love seeing my avatar as a female, you know, kicking ass. Be highlighted kicking ass and be highlighted at the end of the game. Yeah. When it shows us that critical moment where you like killed twenty people. Yeah. Uh but up until recently there just hasn't been a lot of that option for games. So I thought this, that was kind of a nice little plug. Yeah. Where you, you sympathize with Artemis in that she was kind of forced to to again play a game where she had to be in the male avatar of that game. Yeah. That kind of wraps up the email. Uh, and about wraps up the chapter. So what are your thoughts? If I was to give you a crystal ball and you were to reflect on this chapter, gaze into the crystal ball and tell me where we're going next, what would you say? Well, it's it's a little hard to it's a little hard to tell because I'm a, he's he's got to he's gotta decipher the the next clue. Right. Uh, and I don't know, you know, <laughs> as you almost, as you almost explained one episode, uh, uh, I don't know what it means. So it's hard for me to imagine where that takes off, but I would, I would think that his, that would be his next step because he's taken a bit of a rest here. He's kind of just soaked it in. For a chapter, he's in a, a way, he's reading it. He's reading his emails. Yeah, well, it, it he hasn't uh, he hasn't gotten back into hunt mode, right? Um, and when he does, which I can't imagine him taking too much time off of the hunt, especially everything that he's put into it. Uh, I would assume that he's he starts to tackle that that next piece. I think that's an interesting point to to hit on because. The last paragraph in this chapter is him trying to wrap back around to the next riddle mm-hmm. and being distracted by the thoughts of Artemis. And and for years and years and years, the hunt has been his focus. Artemis has been uh, uh, a point of, of fandom mm-hmm. that's still wrapped into his research. Like he could justify watching the movies that she puts on her channels or reading her blogs. Because he could still say, well, maybe there's some hints in there. Right. You know, it's, re- it's part of research. But now that they've met, you know, his mind is distracted. Yeah. He, he can't focus. And it's not that he can't focus because the news is hunting him or because the world is losing their shit. Or he's, yeah, he's, or he's worried about uh, H and a number of avatars after... Uh, stumbling upon the key and and so on. Yeah, it's it's Artemis. It's Artemis that's distracting him of all the things. So that's powerful. Like that's, you know, like that's a huge wave of influence that is is uh tackling him that that everything else that should be occupying his mind including the next part of the hunt is distracted by her. Yeah, and I think that's neat that the chapter ends on, on that being a poignant moment, uh, that he leaves off is in is sort of in this sort of blissful distraction. Yeah, and how he, if he's able to succumb that quickly or, or not brush brush it aside quick quickly enough or, 
I almost yeah. felt like at the end of the chapter, like when I was we were defining the dark clouds on the horizon, it was like another dark cloud popped up. <laughs> <laughs> so everywhere he looks, I'm gonna get hit by some of this shit somewhere. Well, it just something to to distract him, something to potentially rain on his parade in the future, or 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 just something to block his view. He does mm-hmm. not have a clear view of the sky. It is not going to be a sunny day for very long. And and the clouds are a blocking of the sun. Uh, you know, just a blocking of it's it grays out what would it should otherwise be a clear sight for miles. Yeah. And to me, you know, if anything, she's like maybe a fog in the storm of some sort. Yeah, you know, I would. Yeah, I would say she'd be more of a fog than actually a dark cloud because I could see the the IOI and HB kind of motivating factors for him to persist. I can't let up, mm-hmm. and I know he jokingly says that you know with with Artemis, like I'm always going to be one step ahead of you, but he's he's. You're right. He's distracted and away from what (laughs) he's trapping his temple. I'll always be one step ahead. But he's distracted from what the main objective is with with her, as opposed to the other to the other two. Gotcha. So if you shook the eight ball, you know what few words would come up on the eight ball, the magic eight ball? Maybe. Oh God, that covers everything. Is my relationship screwed with H? Am I going to get anywhere with Artemis? Am I going to figure out the the next clue before somebody else does? Maybe. (laughs) Try again. (laughs) All right. I suppose we'll have to see. Yeah. And so ends chapter twelve. Ready Player One. This is Chris. I'm John. And this has been Get to the Good Part. Thanks for listening. So long. <laughs>